Well, Mother's Day is a tradition that actually started probably in about the 1600s in England, uh, when people were out of their parish area um, in different places. What they ended up doing was every, on the fourth Sunday of Lent, I looked this up, I didn't know this, um, it was Mothering Sunday in Britain, where they would send people back to their home parish uh, to go and honour their mums. Uh, it moved across to the US in the 1900s and became a national holiday. Uh, and then during World War II, it sort of died off a little bit because there were sort of other things going on. And then post-World War II, the Americans did what they do best, which is turn something nice and sentimental into a cash-making enterprise. And Mother's Day became, you know, a million cards and gifts and flowers and uh, a really special, special day uh, for hopefully the mums. Um, in the room and grandmothers, mother figures. Uh, but it's not just a tradition, obviously, that has begun by human idea. Some cultures are very good at honouring elders, some not so good. I'd say the Australian culture by default is not great at honouring. Uh, Asian cultures by default seem to have that built in. But it actually all comes from God himself. In about 1500 BC, the Lord spoke to Moses on top of Mount Sinai to the redeemed people of Israel, brought from slavery in Egypt into freedom through God um, on their way to the promised land. And God said this, the fifth command, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This fifth command is repeated in the New Testament. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 6, 1 and 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Any children in the room? Yep, obey your parents in the Lord. And then he repeats, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So it's good that we honor mothers because it comes with a blessing and a promise. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Outdo one another in showing honor. So it may feel like a cheesy American greeting card, profit-making enterprise, but actually it's a biblical thing. Uh, It's important for us not just to show honor, but to aim to outdo one another in showing honor. In some ways, we can't overdo it as kids to our mums to honor them on Mother's Day. Uh, And so I want to do something which is really un-Australian and maybe really annoying for the mums or the grandmothers or the mother figures in the room. If you could all stand and we're going to honour you by clapping you and cheering and just showing a bit of honour. So if you're a mum, a grandmother or a mother figure and you can stand, please stand so we can honour you. Please, we really do honor you. On this Sunday, we've been going, or this series we've been going through called Sanctifying the Ordinary. And of all the six or seven or eight billion people in the world, every one of them has a mother at somewhere. And so there's almost nothing more ordinary than mothering. It's basic to human life. But how do we take mothering and make it holy? 
How do we sanctify? That means to set it apart for special use. How do we, if we are a mother, a grandmother or a mother figure, how do we actually take our mothering, which is so ordinary to our life, and use it for God himself? That's our topic for today. Now, there's obviously all different types of people in the room. There's new mums, perhaps some mums-to-be that we don't know of yet. You can announce right now if you like. (laughs) There's mums with toddlers, mums with older children, mums with adult children. There's even grandmothers in the room. There's also mums of children that are no longer with us, including mums who've had miscarriages and don't have a single child in their hands currently. There's those who have fostered and adopted and taken on mothering roles. And then there's many ladies who wish to be mums, but aren't yet, and so desperately wish they could. Some of us had great mums, some of us not so much. And as we said earlier, the beauty of church is, no matter your situation, we are family all together here. And if today is a hard day for you, and and actually Mother's Day brings up sad feelings, I don't want you to feel like you just have to suck it up and just be happy. But instead, I want you to share your struggles with someone and shed your tears. This is a safe place for you, and you can be real. You don't have to fake it. But at the same time, we also don't want to miss the opportunity to take what the Bible says and apply it to motherhood. And so today in this message, I want to specifically focus on mothers and motherhood itself. And to do that, I want to turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 1 and 5. These are pastoral instructions. And if you have a Bible, you can open up your Bible to Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to his delegate, Titus. And uh, Titus is in Crete, and if you know what Crete looks like, it's you know Greek island, beautiful setting. But the people in Crete were not very beautiful. Uh, they, they were cantankerous, greedy, selfish, and that's what they said about themselves. And yet there was the gospel had been preached there. People had been saved. And now there was the question of how do we live? And so Paul writes to Titus, who's there ordering the church, and he says, this is how you should live, and he talks to various different life stages, family circumstances, and this is what he says. And this is not just Paul's words. These are the very words of God. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled you join me in prayer our God and Father I ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching and the applying of your holy word today in Jesus name amen for the past 10 years and almost five months I've had the front row privilege 
of seeing Maddie become an amazing mother to our now four children. Her love, her selfless care, her creativity, constant sacrifice truly are amazing to see. Now, to be sure, there are many hard days, many times when it's actually taken her to a breaking point. But I truly have the highest respect for her and couldn't be more grateful to God for the mother that she is and the fact that she's the mother to my children. I'm often in awe, and I say this to her regularly, how do you do it? (laughs) What's the secret? But the reality is that there, there is no secret to mothering. And there's no secret to her mothering. She's not perfect, but I think she is a great example. But the secret, if there was one, is that ten and a half years ago, a very pregnant Maddie, soon to be mum, walked into or waddled into a church called Sovereign Grace Church Sydney in Normanhurst Boys High. She walked into a church that opened its Bible and taught from the Scriptures what a mum is meant to do and what type of person a mum is meant to be. She was trained, she was corrected, she was rebuked, she was loved, she was supported, she was able to ask a million questions and through that she was able to sanctify her motherhood so that she could understand what God's will for her is as a mum. Emma Taylor and many others mentored her. Dave Taylor preached faithfully. She's read books. And in all that I've seen, if there's one key secret, if you will, to motherhood that makes it stand out, the one that kind of affects it all, it's this. Whether you work, study, or stay at home, every mum is called to have a heart for the home. Whether you work or study or stay at home, the scripture doesn't mandate one or the other, but it does mandate this, that every mum is to have a heart for her home. We're going to explore what it looks like to have a heart for the home from this passage and a few different passages in scripture with my hope that every mom, grandmother or mother figure in the room would increasingly have her heart redirected to her people in her home. I've just got two points for us today to help us understand and discover this. Point number one, if you're taking notes, it's not very a fancy title, but number one, establishing priorities. Establishing priorities. Especially in a home of a young mum, there are endless needs and countless opportunities, though I've met a lot of grandmothers who seem just as busy as young mothers because the young mothers that they are looking after seem to give their kids to the grandmothers all the time. So it doesn't matter what stage you're in or whether your kids are at home or not, as a mum, you need to prioritise your time, energy and affections. And given the busyness of life, you need to predetermine those priorities before life hits you in the face like it does every 6 a.m., What maybe with a baby's face right there. Now, Stephen Covey, in his famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, gives this well-known illustration that in order to 
you know, fill a pot. If you imagine you've got a pot here and you've got these big rocks and you've got small rocks and little bits of sand. And the, the only way to get it all to fit into the pot is if you put the big rocks in first, then the small rocks, and then the finer sand all filters through. And so it is with mothering uh, and, the, and the family life. We must establish the priorities and put the big rocks in first and then let everything else find its way and around those priorities. And one clear priority from this passage, though it's very briefly mentioned, is, as I said, that mothers are to have a heart for their home. It's a chief priority and passion in your life. Now, there's a myth in maybe conservative evangelical churches like ours, a myth of, I don't know where it came from, uh, that it goes something like this, a woman's place is in the home. But that's, that's not actually what these passages teach. It's not what the Bible teaches, that a woman's place is in the home. That's, that's not true. Sometimes it's taught that it's wrong for a woman to work outside the home. But the Proverbs 31 woman militates against that. And that's not what I'm advocating for this morning. I'm not actually telling you where you should be, but where your heart should be. But just because a woman's place is not necessarily in the home, and, and that's a myth, that doesn't mean it's, the home is not vital and central to a mother's calling. Author Rebecca Merkel says this in her very interesting, quite controversial and slap you in the face kind of book called Even Exile, which I would recommend you read if you read it like that. She said, I would never say that a wife's place is in the home, but I would absolutely say that a wife's priority should be her home. Her place isn't in the home, but her home is to be the priority. And this makes all the difference. Every family must make their own decisions about work and staying at home and how it will all play out. And every husband is ultimately responsible for the consequences of those decisions. Some don't have a choice because of illness or being a single mother. So whether you stay at home or work or study or do something outside the home or you serve in ministry or a mixture of all, every mum must have a heart for the home. And I want to show us this from Scripture so that we can build upon God's Word and not just my opinion. If you look at Titus 2 again, you'll see in this chapter that Paul, uh, Paul is telling Titus to set up this, this structure where instead of being like what Titus chapter 1 verse 12 says, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, he wants the church to be a little bit different to that. And so he says, all right, older men, you be reverent. Older women, you also be reverent. But older women, you've got a job. Your job is to take the younger women and teach them. Uh, which also is very grateful that he said that because it means that all these things can be learned. You don't have to be naturally like home mum. This can be learned. Older women are to teach the younger women and look at verse 4. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. These are commands, but they're also opportunities, as we'll see later. And notice how each one of these statements has its priority and loci in the home. 
Younger women are to love their husbands, love their children, be self-controlled, be pure, be working at home. That means carrying out household duties and responsibilities well, to be submissive to their husbands. It's not a personality thing, it's a new creation thing. This is Christian mothering, sanctified motherhood. If you know Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, you can learn these things and grow in them. And they're high stakes. He ends it by saying that the word of God may not be reviled. That to lose the home and, and, the, and the heart for the home as a priority actually puts the gospel into disrepute. That's how serious this is. So we might think, oh, home is just a place for recreation and leisure, and we, we go to work, we come home to rest. But actually the home is an outpost of the gospel to a broken and dark world. And so Paul is saying, do this, ladies, so that the gospel will be honored in our community in Crete. So that's our first passage. Whether you work, study, or stay at home, every mum must have a heart for the home, centered around the home. But what does this working at home mean that, you know, Paul says it, it, it instantly makes people on edge, um, especially in our society. It's like, what are you saying? It's like, okay, just calm down. What does it mean? Uh, well, Paul actually talks about it in another place in Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. So if you flick a few pages back over in your Bible, Paul here mentions working at home again. Uh, but now the context of this passage is actually, he's talking about widows. So sadly, their husbands have died. Uh, and he, he's talking about who should be on basically the church's pension list for widows. And he's saying, look, to the young widows, actually, they shouldn't be on the pension list. They should, they should get married, and this is what they should do. Verse 14 and 15. So I would have younger wi widows marry, bear children, and manage their households, and give the adversary, that is Satan, no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. So again, you see the high stakes of uh, what we do in our home is really important. But when Paul says there that uh, they are to be managing their households, he uses a, two, a kind of combination of two words, Greek words, oikos, which is home, and uh, despoteo, or despot. Um, and we only ever use that word in a negative sense. Um, a despot is like a dictatorial ruler in you know, a country. So someone who's like a, an authoritarian ruler. But he says to the, the widows, get married and be the home despot. <laughs> so basically, lord your home, rule your home, manage your home. Contrary to the 1950s decorative wife who cooks, cleans as an ornament for her husband, Paul envisions the wives to be the house despot, <laughs> ruling the home. Now, husbands, to be sure, lead the home, but the mothers and the wives are there to actually manage it. And their, their role is to be or pri prioritizing the home and, and keeping it in good order, like the glue and like the, the one that makes it all work. Martin Luther once said of his wife, in domestic affairs, I defer to Katie, his wife. Otherwise, I'm led by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Uh, and so even though we're a church that believes distinctly in the roles of men, or because we're a church that believes distinctly in the roles for men and women, that doesn't mean that as men lead the home that 
then the wife is just sort of like an ornament. No, it actually means biblically defined that the wife and the mother is to be the house despot, (laughs) to manage the home and make it work. And guys, we all know that if it was left up to us, as Richie said earlier, it would be a chaos. Uh, And so uh, we're hoping that mothers rise up to this challenge. So when Paul says to to the Cretan women, be busy at home or in to the, these are in Ephesus, to the Ephesian widows, manage their home, he's saying, with the time, energy, heart and resources you have, Focus it here. Get this going. This is the big rock. Put this in first and let everything else work out outside of that. And the great example of what this actually looks like is the dreaded, for most women, the dreaded Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, I was reading a book and uh, Claire Smith says that pretty much any time you talk about Proverbs 31, all the women go, oh, and all the men go, yeah. Because if you know Proverbs 31, it's this beautiful poem that outlines the noble and ideal wife. And if you could open up your Bibles there, we're just going to have a look at it um, this morning. But we've got to remember about Proverbs 31. Number one, it's written by God. It's Holy Scripture. Number two, it's actually a poem written by a mother to her son, King Lemuel. And she's saying, you know, son, when you look for a wife, this is the type of wife you are to look for. And we're going to see in the Proverbs 31 woman that she doesn't fit into either category. She's not the kind of feminist, egalitarian, go-for-it woman. She's not the wallflower, you know, trodden on by her domineering husband woman either. She's this beautiful, vibrant picture of a woman who fears God, loves her people, and gets to work. So I'm going to read Proverbs 31. And women, I don't want this. This is not a battering ram over you. You guys are awesome. This is a, an encouragement that uh, you can and you become more like this. And remember, this is a... Not, it's fictitious. It's a poem. It's stated in black and white terms. I don't think there's ever been a Proverbs 31 woman. Okay, uh, there's people that aim for it, but no one actually is it. So, with all that caveat, because I know mums can often get so, oh, I'm the worst mum in the world. I'm the worst wife in the world. All that aside, let's be encouraged by this. I'm going to read it all, and as we read it, I want you to look and just think: Where's the focus of her life? What's her priority? An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. 
She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The ideal and noble wife is busy, creative, hardworking, philanthropic, entrepreneurial, working inside and outside the home. But it's clear what her priority is. The home. Not the building, but the people. Verse 12, she does him good, talking of her husband. Verse 15, she rises while it's night, provides food for her household, portions for her maidens. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow, for she's clothed her household in scarlet. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. The reality is, whether you work inside or the home, we all have to work and toil and earn for someone. It may be a boss, shareholders, others in our community. And the point of this passage is to say, mums, do it for your people first and foremost. That's the ideal. That's the priority. Have a heart for your home. Rebecca Merkel again says this, the Proverbs 31 woman is an impressive, hardworking, high-achieving, high-earning woman, but it is all aimed at her people. So when we put the passages together, we see this actually this beautiful picture of the high significance of the home and the high priority of a wife and a mother to be for her people. That's what you're put on earth for. That's why you were given children. And so with everything else, we order it around your people. And that's how you sanctify motherhood. That's the big rock. That's, in, in one sense, the secret to good mothering is being for your people first and foremost through God. So whether you work, study, or stay at home, every mom must have a heart for the home. That's point number one, establishing priorities. That's the big rock. Point number two, embracing opportunities. Point number two, embracing opportunities. Even though this might feel maybe a bit, ah, what, what do I do with this? Uh, I want you to know that God is a good God. And God wants to free mothers from the chasing of vanity. And he guides you down a pathway laden with amazing opportunities. Opportunities to do what God has created you to do for his glory. Mothers haven't gotten the short end of the stick when God was giving out roles. Well, men, you can go out, have a fulfilling career. Mom, sorry, but you're doomed to domestic obscurity and pointless tasks. No, God is a good God who gives good gifts. And therefore, if he's called mums to make their people, their home, their priority, that's good. That's the best thing for you. It's an opportunity, not a punishment. It doesn't mean it's easy. Many times a good mum will want to run, <laughs> feel overwhelmed and give up. 
But that doesn't mean we should water down the biblical priority. Instead, it just shows how much grace we need to fulfill it. And if that's you, and you're already feeling a ton of weight, shame, condemnation, pause in your heart now. Talk to the Lord about it. His commands are actually an open invitation to your joy and prosperity, not doom and punishment. And if you feel like a failure, there's always grace to forgive your sins and train you in new paths of righteousness. Now, I want to look at, in a brief time, five opportunities for a home-oriented mother to embrace. Five opportunities for a home-oriented mother. So whether you work, study, or at home, here's five opportunities that you can embrace and take hold of in your role as a mum, or if you want to become a mum one day. Number one, embrace the opportunity of choice at home. Embrace the opportunity of choice. We often think that the home is limiting, and it is in some respects. But with every limit comes a whole new realm of choices. If you think of soccer, you have a field and you have boundaries and you have halves and you have teams and you have rules and you have goals at either end. And the way that makes soccer exciting is when people stay in the boundaries and play by the rules. It's always annoying if you are a kid at school and there's always that one kid that picks the ball up and kicks it in the goal and uses his hands and does whatever he wants and it ruins the game. The limits of soccer is what makes it exciting. Um, and if you follow the way the game works, you score goals in the goal you're aiming for rather than kicking own goals. Uh, and so although the home centering your life is a limitation, it also opens up a whole new world of opportunity. An opportunity of choice of how you're going to best bless your people. Now, in the crazy of home life and home and work life or home and work and church and family and community and sports and school life, it feels awfully like life is happening to you. But we see in Proverbs 31 that the the noble wife, the house despot, she's the boss of the home and she's in charge of making it happen. Claire Smith helpfully says in her great book, God's Grand Design, she says, the Proverbs 31, she's purposeful and thoughtful and engaged in her life. Her life is not simply happening to her, she is making life happen. Once you establish the priorities and the limits, then you can be on the lookout to go, all right, I'm going to invest my gifts and my creativity and my hard work here. And therefore, you're on the front foot using all the skills and gifts you've got that you might be using in the workplace and other places, the church space, the community space, and going, I'm going to give it here first. And I'm going to take the opportunities here. The Proverbs 31 woman, look at verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength for her work. Verse 18, she perceives her merchandise is profitable. Verse 27, she oversees her household. Verse 30, she chooses to fear the Lord. This is not a woman that's under dominion in that sense. She's on the initiative. She's thinking strategically and creatively about how to best serve her people. And therefore, embrace the opportunity of choice that you have at home. Make the many choices you have to make it best for your people. And the home brings with it this whole realm of uh, 
what is often considered mundane, but is actually the stuff of life. And so, mums, I encourage you, think the best way to have the best food to eat for your health and nutrition in the home. The best way is to organize the home for order and beauty. The best way is to structure the routine for simplicity and joy. Choose how to use your work outside the home to serve your home rather than making your home suffer because of your outside work. Choose how to best disciple your kids. Choose how to best educate and inform your children. The home is a limit, but it's also a world of choice where you can apply all your skills for your people. So mums, embrace the opportunity of choice that lies before you. Secondly, embrace the opportunity of work, hard work in the home. Make no mistake, a homeward orientation is not easy. It is work and hard work. But remember, work is a blessing from God and not part of the curse. The toil in our work is part of the curse, but work itself is good. And God has given mothers the blessed job of giving their best work to their favorite people, their home. Some people will find it easier than others. But just because some enjoy orienting their lives around their home more than others, doesn't mean you just don't have to do it. That would be like saying to the dads in the room, well, just because you don't like leading, you don't have to lead. Just let someone else lead you home. That's not how it works. If you don't like being home-oriented and giving your best to your people, pray for grace and share it with others and invite people to help you to do the task. It's hard. There's toil in the labor. But the Proverbs 31 woman and the Titus 2 woman and the 1 Timothy 5 widow woman teaches that that's the priority, to be using your energies and your hard work for your people. The calling is to be busy at home and managing the household well. This may mean upskilling and getting education. In our professional careers, if we want to succeed and get better and get promoted, what do we do? Go get a master's. Go do extra training. Do the professional development days. And that's exactly what Paul envisions for the the Cretan wives in Titus 2. That the older women are to teach the younger women. And so therefore, the younger women are to learn from the older women. There's an imperative of training and learning. Don't feel like you have to, in yourself, have it all to figure out how to be a mom. No, the, the, the text is teaching that you need to learn and you need someone to teach you. So seek out that education. Perhaps you can meet up with someone who you respect as an older mom. You can take courses or read books in parenting. Even with domestic affairs, you can upskill in cooking, cleaning, finances and home management. Rebecca Merkel says this, rather than seeing Titus 2 as evidence of Paul's low view of women, perhaps we should see it as evidence of Paul's high view of the importance of the home. And therefore, embrace the opportunity of hard work for your people, skilling up, training up, so you can best do it to bless the people who matter most to you. What do we do with outside work? Is a question that you might be thinking. Well... Although there's different, everyone has different life circumstances and although our culture seems to have no real category for being at home, it's worth us thinking about. There may be single mums who have to work or people in desperate financial situations or sick husbands or job loss. All of that has to go into the mix. There's no one answer for whether you should work or not work outside of the home. 
But there's some good questions you can ask as opportunities arise, whether it be paid work, volunteer work, serving in the church, or even serving your extended family. Here's some questions you can think whenever any opportunity to do something outside your home comes up, or re-evaluating the stuff you're already doing outside your home. This is taken from Carolyn Mahaney's fine book called Feminine Appeal. There you go. You can ask yourself this. What are my reasons for considering this opportunity? Are they selfish or God-honoring? So getting to your heart. When an opportunity comes, why do I actually want this? Am I doing this to escape or am I doing this to enrich? Will pursuing this venture lessen the priority of the home in my heart? Will this enhance the lives of my family, not just materially, but emotionally and spiritually? And does taking this on hinder my role as caretaker of the home? Rebecca Merkel says helpfully, if a woman is managing her own home in such a way that it fills up and overflows and spills out into business endeavors, it should be the kind of thing that is a blessing to her people, giving more to them and not less. Her home should be what she's pointed at, not the thing she's trying to escape. As soon as a job or anything else, I would include church and everything in that, begins to pull us away from our families, then we need to stop and reevaluate, remembering where God wants us to be focused. Okay, so it's not one or the other. It's about the heart and thinking, what's the priority and then what do I do? Where can I give my best work? So embrace the opportunity of hard work at home. I'm going to have to speed up and say shortly these, but these are so important. Opportunity three, embrace the opportunity of eternity at home. As significant and beautiful work is, and any work domestically or in the world is, there is a vanity to all of our work. You mow, well, you mow a lawn, and it grows back. Uh, you do whatever you do in your workplace, and it, you have to do it again. You make a meal, and you have to make another meal. Uh, you, make, you clean a bathroom, you clean it again. There's a vanity. Every work we do, everything we ultimately do, although is meaningful and significant, there is a sense in which it just has to be done again, and it goes on. But there's one work that will ultimately last forever. The eternal work of raising spiritual souls the children that God has entrusted you to. And so those of us who are mothers or in charge of children in your home, or grandmothers, I would implore you to embrace the opportunity of eternity. Your labor in the Lord will not be in vain for everything you do to disciple your children. And so don't get so caught up in your work or don't get so caught up in your home that you miss eternity and the actual souls that are there. Number four, embrace the opportunity of God. Verse 30 of, Psalm, of Proverbs 31, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Claire Smith says this in her book, A Sad Story. A number of years ago, I attended the funeral of a woman my age. She was a faithful wife and mother with a young family. She'd been an award-winning student with a brilliant career. She had a beautiful, well-kept home and garden and a wide circle of friends. 
By all the standards of this world, she was the real deal, the ideal woman. So it seemed natural that her family chose this text for her funeral. But when it was read, the second part of verse 30 was deliberately left out. Because although the rest of the poem fitted this woman, she did not fear God. What a fearful omission that was. Instead of bringing comfort and hope at that point, God's word brought a silenced word of judgment. The tragic irony was that if Proverbs 31, 10 to 31 tells us anything, it, it is that we can spend our lives working our fingers to the bone, being high achievers and devoted family members. We can even work tirelessly for the poor, but if we do not first fear God, all is lost. Mums, the most important thing you can ever do is fear the Lord and worship Jesus Christ. Everything else you do will come to naught for yourself if you do not put Him first. If you're not yet a Christian and you're a mum or anyone in the room, I just implore you, fear God today. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and you will be praised by all and by God himself. Finally, embrace the opportunity of grace. No mum I've ever met thinks they're killing it at home. <laughs> Every mom feels like a failure. There's always more to do. They always all seem to think they're ruining their children. Um, and I don't often hear dads say that. Like, uh, it's, it's often moms that are like, I'm ruining the children. The dad's like, nah, I think we're pretty good. <laughs> at least that's maybe our household. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Home is often a place where our heart is actually running from rather than running toward. And hearing every mum must have a heart for the home may just make you feel condemned and helpless because in your heart of hearts, you actually don't like your role. You're running from your station and resentful that God is telling you to do this. You may feel helpless and hopeless. And the last opportunity to embrace is embrace grace. Every mum needs hot gospel served up daily. You need to be reminded you will never be enough, can never do enough, never were enough. But if you place your hope in Jesus, you'll be saved regardless. And how do we know this? We know it because Jesus left his home to bring us back home. There's a modern hymn which says this. You left your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost. But Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers down to the bone, but nothing I did could ever atone. But Jesus, you paid my debt. By your blood, I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown. And you rose that I might be a new creation. I am born again by grace and grace alone. Mum, you are saved by grace. You continue in grace. The only way you can do it is coming back to the throne of grace every day, multiple times a day, multiple times a minute, and asking for more help. You were never meant to be sufficient for your children. You're just a tool and an instrument. He's the one that gets it all done. And so go to him and ask him for the help. Friends, 
Mums, it's key that you establish in your heart of hearts God's priority for you. Have a heart for your home. Center your life around your people and then spill out into the rest of the world. Titus 2 taught us to be busy at home. 1 Timothy 5, to manage the household well and embrace your role as house despot. Proverbs 31 shows us a boss woman doing good for her people. And although it's hard and countercultural at times, it's a great opportunity. A great opportunity to embrace the choice of work at home. Uh, To embrace the opportunity of choice. To embrace the opportunity of work. To embrace the opportunity of eternity. Embrace the opportunity of God. And embrace the opportunity of grace. Let me pray for you. Almighty God, I pray and ask that you would help the mothers in this room to have a heart for their home. And Lord, would you give them grace in it? They do such a great job, Lord. I'm so proud of the mums in this room. And Lord, would you help them to do it even better by your power? Would you help them to spur each other on, to ask the hard question, to repent where necessary, and to throw themselves back at your feet, asking for grace and help in their time of need? We pray all this in Jesus' good name. Amen.